Welcome to Bow Talks, a podcast by Banking on Women, which is a student society at the University of Melbourne. We are dedicated to empowering, educating and encouraging our members in the financial and professional services industries. Bo would like to respectfully acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulon Nations, who are the traditional custodians of this land, on which we will be recording this podcast on. We pay our respect to their elders past, present and emerging. So hello everybody, welcome to this week's Bow Talks episode. Today we've got a very special guest, we've got Emma from Crescent Capital Partners joining us. Um, so I'll hand it over straight to you Emma, we'd love to start off by asking who you are and what your passions are. My name is Emma, I am an investment associate at Crescent Capital Partners, I've been there for two years now. Outside of work, it's hard when people ask about passions, I mean I recently got a dog, um, I just for a little groom, which is why I'm working from home today, and he's looking spick and span. I wish I can flash him up for everyone to see. Um, so that's taking up all my time. And then really there's, yeah, some other passions, but but nothing beats the dog. Nothing beats the dog. I love that. What breed? Quickly tell us. Mini schnauzer. Very cute. Very yeah. cute. Actually, oh. if I come, Oh, my gosh. Oh, he's sleeping. A Botox exclusive. Okay, if he, if he wanders <laughs> in, then please do. Um, all right. Can you tell us a little bit about your university experience and career journey since graduating so we get mm-hmm. to know you? So at uni, I went to the University of Auckland. I did a BCom and a B science, um, major in economics, finance, math and stats. Um, and, oh, actually, sorry. This is <laughs> you want to? Get recorded. Oh, this is this is him. Oh, hello. hello. Can you say hi to the camera? Hello. Hi. Our listeners would really appreciate it. <laughs> <for sure. laughs> I love it. Oh my god, he's gorgeous. Yeah. Um, okay, so uni. So that's what I studied. Um, and then at uni, I did you know a couple of internships. Nothing. Nothing too special. Um, and then did some case comps, which I know a bunch of um, our people would do as well. And those are probably the two main things that are the most important to me is case comps and then a couple of internships. Outside of that, I mean, a little bit of volunteering here and there, but nothing nothing nice. too exciting. Nice. And whereabouts did you intern? Like we talked about uh, I did an internship. I did um, a summer investment banking internship at Goldman Sachs. Uh, that was the main one. And then before that, I did a couple, one at Deloitte um, and at some other firms as well. Yeah, awesome. All right. Um, so, and then uh, your career journey since graduating, where whereabouts has your um, yeah path taken you? Yeah, so I started my graduate role at Bain & Company in strategy consulting. Um, then I went to do a short stint as a corporate strategy manager at Woolworth Group. Um, before coming to Crescent in, in the private equity team. Wonderful. So obviously you've touched on a, like different industries and different career segments, different companies. Um, you know, you, you've got some really highly prestigious firms along in your resume, along the investment banking, management consulting and corporate strategy industries. So mm-hmm. we'd love to draw on your firsthand experience like, and hear from you who's been in the industry like the key differences I think that would be a huge help to all uni students especially our listeners to really understand from someone who's been in the industries what the key differences are because sometimes at uni you hear these words and you kind of hear the traits but it's hard to differentiate so let's I would love to like shed some light on 
say we'll start off with roles and responsibilities. Like how did it differ? What kind of tasks were you doing day to day in investment banking, in consulting and in corporate strategy? I think in investment banking, I mean, and caveating, I haven't spent, you know, a huge amount of time there is uh, I spent most of my day in front of the computer doing a lot of Excel work. Um, I got really good exposure and you felt very important with the stuff you were doing. You felt really good about what you did. But ultimately, you know, you spent most of your days in front of a computer. You would hear about clients, but you wouldn't really speak to clients. Um, so perhaps it was because you were at such a junior position and an investment bank, sort of the more senior you get, the more client exposure you get. But that's kind of that's kind of the gist of it. It was very, very quantitative. Um, you had to be very good at numbers, you know, brush up on ex- um, accounting 101, 102 knowledge, that sort of stuff beforehand. Um, and then management consulting is actually the opposite. I'd spend 80% of my time collaborating with clients and people. And I'd spend my evenings, you know, post six, seven o'clock in front of the computer. So yes, it was long hours, but that's only because between nine to five, you've got a day of meetings. And then between like six to nine or six to 10 is when you actually get to sit in front of your computer and actually do the work. Um, And then sort of corporate strategy, which is again, very, very similar to management consulting. Um, and I think we're going to talk about P a a little bit later, but kind of at a, yeah. at a very, very brief level, that was how the experiences felt different. Understood. Understood. Do you, do you have a preference for one, just quickly? <laughs> um, I really liked my time at Bain. I think it was yeah. very, very fundamental and, you know, it allowed me to think very, very holistically, but also allowed me to kind of know how to interact with very senior leaders and, you know, make a business great. Mm. Okay, wonderful. Um, another like important factor that comes up in almost every networking conversation, I think, is work-life balance and how it differs within industries, and especially how important it is to people. And you know, uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is, different people value work-life balance at different um, weightages in their lives. So, mm-hmm. how did it differ in each industry from your experience? And uh, also touch on what your personal like weightage is to the work-life balance aspect and has it changed over the years? Definitely. I think like with any industry, it's it's exactly the same. Um, the more senior you get sort of the better your work-life balance is, not necessarily in terms of absolute hours, but in terms of flexibility and the way you think about the job because it's, I know people don't like to use the word work-life balance anymore. It's more like work-life integration sort of but but it's it's actually quite a nice way of doing it because today for example because I had to take Jubal to the to to the groomers and our puppy sitter was sick I was able to you know work from home get everything done that I needed to um and get that flexibility whereas at a more junior level you probably don't get that luxury um and then in terms of sort of I know people like to talk about absolute hours but in investment banking as a rough guidance I felt like it was pretty consistently busy. Like it, you, you range from an 80% to 100% band and anywhere between, I don't know, 14 hours to 17 hours a day sort of thing, maybe maybe 12 to 17 hours a day sort of thing. Um, whereas in consulting, it was similar but more volatile. So you probably range from 10 to, 10 to 16 hours a day sort of thing. Um, and then in corporate strategy, it's it's totally, totally dependent on what season you're in. And at Willie's, there were times when I was twiddling my thumbs by four o'clock and I was done for the day. And then there's other times where I was pushing till midnight. So it's very, very, in corporate strategy, it's very, very variable, um, slightly more consistent than the other two. 
and then investment banking having the longest absolute hours um, for sure. Makes sense. And I think that um, is pretty consistent with the general idea people seem to uh, convey in the industry. Mm -hmm. I realised we never actually got into what the key differentiators between the industry are, especially corporate strategy. So um, like if you could give us a very quick rundown of what is IB investment banking, what were you doing in consulting and what is corporate strategy for people that may not know or have heard of it before? Yeah, so let, maybe let's do start with 101s. Um, so investment banking, I'm sure your um, the listeners here would have had some, you know, impression of it. It is a little bit of a black box because I don't actually think the word investment banking does it, it does it justice. It, it actually doesn't explain what they do very well. Um, the way I like to think about it is they are effectively real estate agents um, for when a business transaction is about to happen. So they're sort of the middleman. Um, they kind of manage the transaction. They kind of do the marketing behind it. They find prospective buyers for it. They line up buyers and sellers. So they are really act as the middle agents. And it's a very important job um, like because it, it, it is critical without investment bank because facilitating transactions, a lot of big M&A deals just wouldn't happen. Um, which is kind of reflective in, in your day-to-day -day job. It's sort of the senior guys get to talk to the clients and, and find the buyers and line up the sellers because it's very relationship-driven. And at the junior level, you're responsible for making the most beautiful ever, you know, presentation to impress prospective buyers so that they want to buy the business and pay up for it, um, as well as crunch numbers to make sure, you know, the valuations are right and both sides of the party think it's, think, think it's a fair number they're paying off. So it is, a, it is a bit of an art to it, um, and it's a very important part of, of the business world. Um, the next thing is management consulting. So, again, very cliche, people call them kind of doctors for businesses when a business is sick or um, if it's, even if it's preventative. So if the business is preparing itself for growth or thinking about, you know, how it can prepare itself for AI disruption in the next 10 years or, you know, the business is losing money, how do they turn themselves around? That's when you bring in management consultants who bring their kind of strategic toolkit, analyze the business, decide, all right, the diagnostic is X, Y, Z. Our recommendations are you go kind of embark on this journey to, to, to turn this around. Um, and then finally, corporate strategy is very similar to management consulting, but it's done in-house. And the difference is being... Not only do you do it in-house, but then you also have the oversight of managing that strategy and seeing it through. So you're executing as well. You're not just setting the strategy, which is where usually management consultants would leave it mm -hmm. um, most of the time and then just leave it for the company to implement themselves. And then the corporate strategy team would actually set the strategy, some of it, and actually be responsible for seeing it through for the next three years or so. Wonderful. That sounds, yeah, that's a much needed overview and that sounds uh, good. Definitely differentiated the three in my head. So yeah, thank you for that. Um, comments on the workplace culture that you faced in each industry, would you say they're similar and like highly competitive or did you feel supported or how, how did it differ in terms of culture? I think, um, and again, caveating, when I did my investment bank internship, it was in New Zealand, so the team was smaller. We had a team, I think, of 12 or 14 people, so it was a very small team, and they only took two interns or two analysts in per year, so it's a very, very kind of tight funnel they're managing. I think in general, investment banking, and I know you want to touch on this later as well, probably, around kind of gender balance. I think a lot of the culture is reflected in the gender balance as well. Um, from when I was there, I was one of two women um, in, in, yeah. the, in the firm, which is 
which is not not fantastic. Um, and I know they're actively looking to improve it, but you know, female retention is is an issue across all industries. And then, kind of more generally, the culture to me felt very kind of structured and a little bit rigid. So in some ways it's good because you get very, very structured guidance. You know exactly you only have one person or two people you're reporting into and there's kind of a rule book or a process book you follow for each transaction. So in some ways that level of structure makes it really easy to navigate the first few years when you're still trying to figure out what's what. Whereas, in, whereas um, management consulting is much, much more unstructured um, they had a really big feedback culture, which is good because you know, you know, every week or every fortnight what your improvement points are. So it's real-time feedback, but it's also very, 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 everyone has a very different journey in management consulting because it's totally project dependent and totally manager dependent. So you could find, you know, you've spent three months on a mine site in Mongolia um, wearing, you know, wearing what do, you, what do you call them, like steel cap boots and hard yeah. hats and no, with a laptop yeah. on your thigh, balance on your thigh as you're kind of like bent over trying to type something, oh, wow. type something down. Or it could be the fact that you're fully suited up working, you know, at a very typical corporate presenting to some, you know, middle level or senior people sort of thing. So the experience is very, very varied. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the overarching thing is there is a little bit more autonomy because mm-hmm. each project is unique and you have to find a way to, to, to manage that. And so you have to also be flexible. Um, and then corporate strategy, my experience is people tended to be a lot older, um, the people you deal with on a day-to-day basis because you don't necessarily have a grad class. From my experience, you enter, when I entered, I entered it sort of as a, you know, I was in my third year um, of working and I entered in as sort of like a junior middle level person. Um, and I was the youngest in, in the group strategy team, um, I think, by a couple of years. And then so the people you're used to working with, they all have families. You have to respect that. You know, they're not down to necessarily party or, you know, go out for drinks on Friday nights. Um, and because it's a corporate, you know, people learn to learn to appreciate the loyalty within that firm. And so you've got people working for the same organization for 25, 30 years. A lot of the stuff is in their head. Whereas in investment banking, management consulting churns tends to be quite a bit high because a lot of people jump to other things. And so you're all in this together. You know, you're all newbies starting together, figuring out your own path. In corporate strategy, it's much more you're dealing with, you know, 40, 50-year-olds with families, with children, um, working a relatively nine-to-six job with Hmm. peaks and troughs. Understood. Wow. Okay. I guess I kind of want to touch on what initially drew you to each industry, like influenced you to apply for it, and then what influenced you to switch out of it as well? Because you've obviously, you know, went through all of them until you've ended at PE. So Mm -hmm. what was like that initial attraction or, you know, factor that drew you in and then what made you switch over? If I was to be completely honest, um, I stumbled into investment banking because that's what all the, you know, smart kids in case program wanted to do. And I was competitive and I was like, all right, everyone wants to go for Goldman Sachs. I'm going to go for that as well. So it wasn't a very clear rationale. And I think I was quite young at that point as well. I didn't really think through my career from from a longer term perspective. But nevertheless, it was obviously a very good experience and a very, very good brand. Why, in terms of why I didn't go back as an as, as an analyst and take up the, the grad offer um, was mainly because of hours. I'm someone that needs a lot of sleep. Um, yeah. I don't <laughs> I well second that one. Yeah. 
Some people can, but I, I can't. And I think investment banking, as much as I get a lot out of it, it also takes a lot away from me. Um, and that was one of the impediments. Um, and then in terms of management consulting, I joined it because I thought, look, I need to find something equally as challenging, equally as interesting and equally as sort of prestigious in the right word, but yeah. sort of leave your options open, right? If you have a really good brand in your resume, you leave all your options open. That's kind of how I thought about it. So I was like, okay, management consulting is sort of, you know, on the I would put them on the same kind of category, but okay. work-life balance, what I've heard was that it was a little bit better. So it was a very simplistic kind of reasoning from my end. Hmm. Um, and then ultimately I left after two years to experience what it's really like to implement a strategy, not just hmm. set the strategy, which is why I spent a short amount of time at Woolworths. And then finally, private equity. I mean, my husband has been in this industry for quite a few more years than I have. So kind of in my air, I've always heard this whisper, come come to do private equity, you'll love it, you'll love it. So I tried it out and sort of decided, look, it was actually the best of both worlds. You got to do deals, but you also got to see the strategy and you also got to implement the strategy. So it's kind of combining all three things into one experience, which is quite special. That makes a lot of sense. And um, quick question. It- when you made the switch over to corporate strategy, what was it about seeing the implementation of a deal that really drew you in? And can you give us an example where you, you know, drafted up the the plan but also got to execute it as well? Yeah, I think, um, you know, without going into too much detail, um, I think Woolworth has over a thousand supermarkets and I think from memory has just under a hundred metro stores. Now, obviously, some stores in their fleet are underperforming, some are better overperforming, and you're always going to get a range. One of the pieces of work that we did in the group strategy team is we tried to figure out which stores were underperforming and why. And then part of the strategy is, well, one, how do we actually make them better stores from a per square meter perspective? That's how they thought about it. It's like profit and revenue per square meter. Hmm. Um so it's thinking about that and then also what do we actually do with the underperforming stores? Do we add an extra coffee machine in or do we, you know, make the checkout area smaller if the footprint is an issue and we want to put more grocery items in there? Um, do we get rid of the instant checkouts because they take up more space or do we decide, you know, to stack higher and then stack fruit five le- levels instead of one level or two level? So it's, it's those very, very tactical little things that you probably don't really appreciate yeah. as a management consultant, but when you're actually in the business and that's kind of your world, um, you appreciate it a little bit more. And then actually getting to work with the specific teams, the store teams, the supermarket teams to make that happen was quite special. Understood. And yeah, I, I definitely see the um, intent behind that. It's always been a question to me how in consulting space, how you work on something for so long, but you don't get to actualize it so how like it can always be hard to let go of I feel like at some point so no I I definitely see the incentive in that um you briefly touched on it before but the diversity and inclusion um landscape in each industry like what was it like uh and how was the female representation based on your experience you already touched on investment banking but for the other two um I think corporate strategy is a very easy one because maybe it was because it was it was Woolworths um, and it was a very kind of gender neutral industry. Um, if anything, we had probably slightly more women than men. I think it was about 16 and the group strategy team, which was, I think, 30 or 40 people at the time. Um, and then in management consulting at the junior level, 
they try to go for 50-50 and I think it's really effective. Obviously, it takes years for people to flow up to the more senior ranks, but at least sort of below manager level, I felt like the gender split was at least 50-50 and then sort of it kind of tapers off at the more senior level. But I think even at the partnership level, my impression was it was probably 20% female, um, which which is not a bad start. And obviously, you'd expect in the next five years as these more junior people flow through, it'll get better and better. Awesome. Hopefully, yes. Um, That's the goal. Um, Yeah, thank you. Since being in the experience and obviously seeing what works and what's valued and what's maybe not suited to the industry, what would you say are the skills or the qualities that make kind of a perfect candidate for each industry? Like what personality type or what, um, yeah, skills are really valued when you're doing these kind of roles and these kind of tasks? I mean, to be completely honest, like across all three of those industries we just talked about, it's it's everyone's looking for that really kind of A-type personality, um, for lack of a better word. Like, you know, you need to be a critical thinker, good with numbers, generally a fast learner, pretty coachable. That's a word all of them look for um, and willing to put in the hard yard. But I guess what stands out a little bit more in each industry is an investment bank in particular. It's reflecting the hours. So you need to be a bit of a grinder. Mm. Um, and be willing to kind of, you know, maybe just, you know, put your head down and, and do something even if it's not particularly glamorous or particularly interesting, just do it um, and, and get to an outcome. So it's probably a little bit more direct, a little bit more kind of grindy, um, but also at the same time because my experience was that investment banking felt a little bit more hierarchical mm. um, and you do have like a little bit of a rule book or a playbook that you can follow it's really suited to someone who likes to follow the rules, who's very, a very methodical person, very good attention to detail, very numerical, all those things. So it, you get where I'm going, sort of. Yeah. You can kind of put that sure. picture in your head. Whereas management consulting hires probably from a more diversified background, um, and that's reflected because when you deal with clients and projects, they're so different. And mm-hmm. some projects you literally need someone who's really, really good with numbers and other projects you just need someone who you can bring in front of clients and persuade them to do the talking. Um, and so what they value is sort of they try to hire, like I said, from a, from a mix of different backgrounds and, and qualities and skills. But what is really valued is is good with people because at the end of the day, no matter no matter what level of consulting you're at, you're interacting with people a lot. So good with people, um, and then people that are probably more strategic thinkers, hmm. um, more qualitative, I would say, um, would would be the right word. And then corporate strategy is more is more similar to consulting, I would say, except I don't want to. Maybe the word that I'm looking for is political because okay. there are more barriers to get things done. You're implementing things. And it sounds really simple, right? Just add a coffee cart into these five stores. How difficult is that? But actually to get that coffee cart added to those five stores, you need to go through, you need to get alignment with all the strategy teams centrally. Then you need to go to the, go talk to the supermarket teams and the metro teams, which by the way, are run by two different people. Um, then you need to go talk to the store teams, then you need to go talk to procurement, then you need to go talk to, you know, finance, then you need to go talk to all these people to make something happen. So you're sort of the central kind of collaborator or the project manager is the better word. So that's the sort of skill that I think would really benefit someone in corporate strategy. That makes sense. And I I wasn't, um, yeah, I wasn't expecting that one. So that's, 
new and good to hear yeah um i mean i think that's a really comprehensive overview of the industry so thank you so much for sharing your expertise on that uh i think yeah definitely learned a lot for me as well and um i'm sure all of our students will find this as a good 101 into the three industries and know have a better understanding of, of what to expect um you then after the you know your experience in the three made the move to private equity so to your current role role at Crescent Capital. So we'd love to talk more about PE and um, what it's all about. So let's start by understanding what exactly is the private equity industry for someone who may not know. Um, private equity is something where, to be completely honest, I had no idea what it was until until kind of at least two years into, into my career. Um, and I don't expect most of our listeners have known. So that's maybe go a little bit more into, into the details. Um, very simplistically, though, private equity is sort of you're investing on behalf of investors, investors being people like pension funds and sovereign wealth funds and family offices and even in some, in some, in some cases high net worth individuals. So you're taking your investors' money and you're investing on behalf of them and the way you make the investments is you look at companies, you decide to buy a company, let's say after lots and lots of analysis and diligence, you think this is a company that's worth investing in. You pay a certain amount for it. You put a valuation on that and there's, there's an up to that. You hold on to that company for five years. And in those five years, you try your best to make it the best possible company you can and step changing the earnings profile of the business and the outlook of the business and then selling it in five years' time for hopefully a much higher price than what you paid for it, and that difference is the value you've created for your investors. So that's kind of in a nutshell the private equity industry, which is very, very different, like I said, from the other three industries we've touched on before. Mm -hmm. But the other three industries, to some extent, all factor into the private equity life cycle. So, for example, when you are looking at buying a business, usually you usually an investment bank is involved in the transaction as sort of the, the either the buy side or the sell side agents. Um, and then sort of in the life of the business, you're doing corporate strategy because you're managing the business and trying to make it the best possible company you can. Um, but at the same time, you need to bring in your analytical, your consulting toolkit to really think about what you can do to make that the best company you can. So it's sort of combining all of those experiences and skill sets into one, which makes it pretty interesting. Yeah, for sure. Um, I guess following on from that, since it requires such a, diverse skill set like you said and it's almost all those industries combined into one uh typically very few university students join private equity right after like straight after uni as a grad role and crescent uh, capital is one of the firms that does offer a grad role so what characteristics would you say would make a university student attractive for a private equity firm to to hire straight on yeah, I think this is quite a new um, thing even for Crescent. I think we're one of only a few firms in Australia that does it. Yeah. I know in the US a lot of firms hire at the graduate level, but Australia hasn't seen that yet. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think part of the reason why historically it wasn't done is because in private equity you get the responsibility of being an owner. Sort of if you think about it, you're, you're no longer being sort of the advisors or the agents, you're actually if I use an example, you're, you're sort of like a house owner in some extent. So it does require a different level of maturity and responsibility and the way you think about owning a business that is actually your business and you're responsible for seeing out the decisions that you've made, whether they be good decisions or bad decisions, 
as opposed to just, you know, doing a piece of work, a discrete piece of work, giving it to someone else and then, you know, hoping hoping that it was a, a good thing. But ultimately that decision is, isn't even yours, whether the client wants to execute it or not. That's, that's up to them. So sort of that's probably part of the reason why private equity firms haven't looked to hire at a more junior level. So it requires, you know, someone that's been two, three years traditionally into, through into consulting or banking, someone that's gone through the initial training um, before they, they, they let you come in. I think Crescent is taking a bit of a unique approach in the sense that, well, there are some people, some very, very talented people straight out of university that know that they like investing. Um, you know, they might be looking at consulting and they might be looking at banking and they're like, well, there's parts of each job that I like um, and parts of each job that you don't like. And so private equity is a really good middle ground. It's sort of the nexus of all three of those things yeah. I spoke about. Yeah. So it's a good compromise and it's also more all-rounded for kind of that those individuals straight out of university that kind of know what they want um, and and has the has those abilities to do that. Wonderful. Yeah, makes sense, definitely. Um, another question I guess we come across a lot is people not understanding the difference between private equity and investment banking or you touched on buy side and sell side as well. Those are terms that are thrown around a lot. And um, just for our listeners to get a better understanding, could you help take us through the key differences and yeah, elaborate more on what it means to be on the buy side versus sell side? Buy side just means you're an investor. So you're the example I used before and I'll continue to use is you're yeah. the house owner. Yeah. So you're the person that decides, all right, I'm, I found this, you know, piece of land with a shabby house on it. I'm going to spend a million dollars buying that house. Um, and the investment banker is the real estate agent or the person helping you get that deal done and, and, and get that document signed. And now that house is yours and you have the key. Now you spend the next five years finding all sorts of builders and plumbers and electricians and architects and landscapers making it the best property you can. Yeah. Um, and then selling it to the next person in five years' time. And hopefully you've sold it for more than a million dollars and you've made sort of a nice bit of profit for you. The only difference being it's not your own money. You're investing on behalf of investors' money. So you return that money to them. Um, and that's kind of what private equity is. And then the yeah. way investment banks and sell side fits in is is they're on sort of – and sell side is a more general term. Typically, a private, uh, typically an investment bank represents – the sell side as in they represent the company that wants to position itself for sale so broadly would classify all of them as being on the sell side and us being the person that wants to buy the deal on the buy side that's why it's called sell side and buy side mm -hmm. but you can get buy side agents as well but it's more common to have sell side investment bankers um, that do kind of the marketing behind it they actually like i mentioned before they play a very important role in making sure that deal gets done and the right buyer gets matched with the right business Awesome. Yeah, definitely adds a little bit more clarity to, to the terms that are always mentioned in these conversations. Wonderful. And um, just elaborating more on uh, private equity versus other forms of um, buy side firms or cap investments such as venture capital or hedge funds. Like what's the difference between these three? Because they all fall onto the buy side, don't they? Yes, they do. Um, I'll talk about venture capital separately to hedge funds because it's quite a bit of a different thing. The way I like to think about the buy side spectrum is, you know, on one extreme end, you've got sort of really early phase sort of angel investors almost, which is classified as being very, very high risk, but very, very, you expect a very, very high return for that risk you're taking. Right. And the check sizes tend to be very, very small. 
um, you only need a couple million bucks to usually to at that level. And then you kind of scale to the next level, which is um, your venture capital. So it's sort of a little bit more proven than that kind of seed startup stage, but it's still very much um, an, an unknown in terms of where the performance is. So oftentimes people use the word, it's an educated guess hmm. um, in terms of whether it's a good investment or not. So it's still got a high level of risk um, and expects a high level of return for that. You've got some fantastic VC investments um, in the last few years that all, you know, but there's only one in 10 VC investments that really take off sort of thing. And then at that stage and at the angel investment stage, there might be one in a hundred or one in a thousand that take off, but that one in a thousand is going to be a unicorn and yeah. it's going to make your money unique. Um, then the next stage you've got kind of private equity and within private equity, you've got kind of smaller funds. Then you've kind of got more mid market funds. Then you've got large funds or mega caps. And again, the smaller the fund, usually the smaller the check size, the higher it's, it's probably slightly higher risk because the business isn't as fully developed um, and then you expect a higher return as well. Deal flow is also higher on this end and then you kind of go into the large caps, then you kind of go into the other end, which you've got core plus infrastructure and then infrastructure funds. So infrastructure, you're buying super, super steady things that you carry for 40 years, like a bridge, like a, um, a toll road, like a port sort of thing. So that's kind of how I think about the investment spectrum on, on the buy side. And where private equity sits is it kind of sits somewhere in the middle where there is a certain level of risk, You're still, but you still have a huge amount of influence in how you can shape that. So I personally find it quite exciting. Um, and then hedge fund is, is, is a totally different thing. Hedge fund, because you're not necessarily owning the business from a, from a control sense. Yes, you have control because you, mm. you know, you, you've bought the shares, but really it's speculative. So you're seeing sort of a good opportunity. You buy those shares and then you sell it later, but you're not really doing anything to turn around the business and to shape it as such. So it's quite different. Whereas along the spectrum I discuss at each stage, you're kind of doing your part to make it a better investment for the next buyer. Makes sense. No, that makes a whole lot of sense. I, and I love the spectrum um, example. It definitely puts things into context. So thank you for that. Um, so now that we've understood where private equity falls on that exact spectrum that you were talking about, let's move on to your work. So would you say you're enjoying your work the most at your current role in private equity um, in comparison to all the previous places you were at? And what characteristics of the industry contribute to that? Definitely. And I can promise you that my firm did not train me to say that. <laughs> I, promise. I, love that. Um, <laughs> I think it's a testament, the fact that my husband drew me into this industry. Um, and I'm obviously very happy having been in it for two years now. So it's a testament. Mm -hmm. um, what I like the most about this industry is the fact that it's never boring because you're never doing the same thing over and over. Mm -hmm. You the fact that each transaction is in a completely different industry, the fact that not only are you doing the deal, but you're also running the deal, you're also exiting the deal. You get to see, it's actually really rewarding to see your decisions get proven correct. Whereas sort of in my previous roles, it's sort of you make a decision, um, but it's not really a decision because it's someone else is the decision maker um, and you don't really get to see the outcome of the work you put in. So there's no ownership as such, which is not necessarily, it's, it's a good and bad thing. Whereas for me, I get to see things through to fruition. 
Um, and, and that to me is really rewarding and it's really empowering. The fact that the work you're doing on a day-to-day basis is creating so much value that you can actually see and you know because you did the modeling, you ran the numbers, you know whether it's tracking to expectations and whether you can potentially make this a billion-dollar business even though you paid it $100 million for it sort of thing. Yeah. So that's kind of what I like about it. Um, and then on top of that, to me, private equity, you get access to some of the best resources because you get to speak to some of the most talented advisors, you know, some of the best lawyers, some of the best consultants, some of the best investment banks. Um, you get access to those people sort of on a phone call basis, and that's really exciting. And then also you get to, you know, manage or oversee or sit on boards of some very, very um, capable management teams and, and boards of your portfolios. Um so it really does feel more rewarding and more varied than those other three industries I've mentioned. But all of those are, are, are very, very good industries. This is just, to me, the next level and it really brings everything together. Perfect. So do you see yourself like continuing in private equity for the foreseeable future or is there something else you want to explore next on the cards? I think private equity is enough in terms of when, if you're looking for a change, like I said, there is so much different things you can take out in PE and you can choose to lean on an industry more heavily than another. Um, and, and if you really like a, type, a particular sector or a particular type of deal, you can really try going for those a little bit more. So I think from it, if I was looking for additional experiences and things to do, I wouldn't look outside of private equity. The only reason why I would consider a move out of private equity in, in sort of a longer term future was if I was to think about sort of um, more work-life balance and really having children and having that because it's not yet one of the downsides in PE, quite frankly, is it's been a less proven model. There haven't, haven't been as many. There has been, but there haven't been as many women that have gone through sort of raising children and showing that they can be very successful senior women in this industry. So that's probably the only thing where I'd have hesitation about, but I'm, I'm yet to find out. And maybe in the next five years, you'll get lots and lots of women that go through that journey. Hopefully so. And uh, hopefully we reconnect in five years and you're, you're one of those women leading that change. Um, amazing. So we are almost at the end of the episode. This has been really fun. Just to conclude, if there is one piece of advice you'd like to give to your university self or those years back, um, what would you like to say? And is there anything you'd do differently, I guess, in your current um, journey? I think just give everything a go. Like my uni self would be, I'm only going to do things because um, I know I can succeed in that. And mm-hmm. there's sort of the very stereotypical, if you've got a job description with 10 different things that they ask, ideally you would have A, B, C, D, E, F, G. I wouldn't yeah. be comfortable applying unless I met at least nine out of those 10 things. Whereas yeah. a lot of other people would be comfortable applying if they had four of those 10 things. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, like, I think just go for it. What's the worst that could happen? Um, take every opportunity, whether you're qualified or not. And that's for the other person to decide whether you're qualified or not. So don't self-select yourself out would be the biggest advice I would give because I can tell you I've missed so many opportunities um, when I was at uni um, that I probably would have led me to a very good spot. That's, you know, what? it's funny you bring that up. I was just before a podcast talking to a friend about the exact same idea and that exact same like 10 checklist and how I think it's females are more likely to, you know, they want to tick a higher number of boxes before they even consider themselves. Whereas, yeah. Um, so funny you bring that up. I think everyone can take a little bit of advice from that. And um, 
other than that, that brings us to the end of the podcast. That's been a really information-packed one. Um, I know I definitely got a whole lot out of it. I hope the listeners did as well. Thank you, Emma, so much for your time and for sharing your expertise. We really, really appreciate it. And yeah, we'll check in in those five years and hopefully find you leading a very balanced life in private equity still. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for having me on. It's been a very enjoyable conversation. Wonderful. Thank you so much. See you next week, everybody. Thank you for listening to another episode of Bow Talks. Please do follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn at Banking on Women. Thank you, everyone. Bye.